Welcome to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio, your source for learning more about fly fishing in cold water, warm water, and salt water. Hello, I'm Roger Maves. And I'm Don Bishop. We're your hosts for Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. On this broadcast, we'll be featuring Conway Bowman, and he'll be answering your most important questions on fly fishing for mako sharks. The show will be 90 minutes in length, and we're broadcasting live over the Internet. If you'd like to ask Conway a question, just go to our homepage on askaboutflyfishing.com and click on the link below the description of the show where it says click here to ask Conway your most important question. We'll receive your questions immediately and we'll be answering as many as possible on the live show. This broadcast is being recorded and will be available for playback on our website about one hour after the show ends. So if you have to leave early, you can return to our website at your convenience and listen to the broadcast at any time. Content of this broadcast is copyrighted and it's the property of the Knowledge Group Inc. doing businesses ask about fly fishing. Recordings or transcriptions of this program cannot be distributed or sold in any form. When we return, we'll be talking with Conway Bowman about fly fishing for Mako sharks. The RL Winston Rod Company is the maker of the revolutionary Boron 2X, the first and only fly rods that are both delicate yet powerful and weigh up to one-third less than any others. Second-generation boron graphite composite allows us to build lighter, more responsive rods while maintaining outstanding fish-fighting power. Go to your local fly shop and ask to cast the Boron 2X, offered in 3 through 6 weight. Then enter our Cast a Winston Sampler Contest. You could win up to six Winston rods. Visit www.winstonrods.com for contest details and to locate your nearest Winston dealer. Cast a Winston at the best place possible, your local specialty fly shop. Well, before we introduce Conway, we'd like to let you know about a great gift we have to give away tonight. For our drawing, Conway has arranged through his sponsor, uh, Canaan Polarized, to provide a pair of Canaan Polarized sunglasses. Canaan uses the most advanced polarized technology on the planet today, producing a high-end solution to the challenges that fly fishers face on the water. We will also be giving away a one-year subscription to Fly Fusion, Canada's premier fly fishing magazine. So if you haven't registered yet for the drawing, you can do so now. Just go to our homepage, which is askaboutflyfishing.com, and look for the link under Conway section that says register for the drawing. Click on that link, fill out the form, and then we'll announce the winner at the end of the show. Well, tonight's show features Conway Bowman. Conway's name is synonymous with extreme fly fishing. He certainly needs no help extracting excitement from life. He's a self-described angling adventurer whose fishing career began at his dad's side at age three. He had a fly rod in his hands by age six, and except for some minor diversions such as a grunge rock band, fly fishing has been his passion ever since. He's fished many parts of the world for many different species, but he's perhaps best known for his pursuit of mako sharks on the fly, occasionally even from a kayak. Conway's adventures have been chronicled in print as well as television. His exploits have appeared in Field and Stream, Saltwater Sportsman, and Wild on the Fly, and he hosted In Search of Fly Water on ESPN2. He also holds the IGFA World Fly Record for Redfish in the 20-pound leader class. In 1994, he started the Bowman Blue Water Guide and Outfitter Service, a saltwater specialty, and he's also principal owner of the Ragged Edge School of Fly Fishing, which specializes in extreme fly fishing adventures. But he's not all wild man. 
He's played a role in the Take Me Fishing program to promote bringing youth to the sport. And he recently participated in a benefit for post-Katrina Louisiana fishing guides. It's a real pleasure to welcome Conway Bowman to our show. Conway, thanks for joining us tonight. Thank you, gentlemen. This is a, this is a great pleasure. Well, now tell me, how, how in the world did you get turned on to Mako sharks? Wow. Um, well, I'll tell you, you let me, uh, the way I got into fly fishing, first of all, is my father used to take me to, to Idaho as a young man, and I, th I think we went from the time I was three until I was probably about 15, but that really lit the fire uh, under me to, to fly fish. And living in San Diego, there really wasn't any um, trout fishing opportunities. So I think I was probably, oh, I want to say my mid-20s, um, I started doing some saltwater fly fishing, and I bought a boat, a little aluminum boat, probably 14 feet, and I would take that offshore uh, quite a distance, you know, up to 20 miles. Whoa. And um, those are very hard lessons learned, and I don't recommend anybody do it. But I, I really learned the blue water fly fishing game off Southern California. And then what happened is I read a couple of books. Uh, one in particular was the, the Orvis Guide to West Coast Saltwater Fly Fishing. And that was written by a gentleman by the name of Nick Kirchion, who's a, a very well-known writer in the uh, in the in the blue water salt blue water fly fishing uh, arena. Anyway, so I read that, and he had a little brief chapter in this book about mako sharks. And the first sentence was, "The mako shark is the greatest adversary in the ocean on a fly rod." And right from that moment, I went, "Okay, this is it." And then the ne next sentence was, "There are only." They're only a few miles offshore, offshore this, off the Southern California coast, and I went, that's even better. So, long story short, I started plying offshore, and it took me about two years to catch my first mako on the fly, and ever since then, I guess uh, my life has really changed. And I remember my uncle, who owns a fly shop in San Diego, before I started doing this, he said, look, Conway, don't, don't get, into, get into saltwater or blue water fly fishing, because you know what? It's going to ruin you. And you know what? I guess... Uh, in essence, it did ruin me because I bought a boat, then I bought another boat, I became a guide, started a guide service, but um, the mako shark has really changed my life. And I, I must say, fly fishing has really changed my life. It's, just, it's been a wonderful, wonderful journey. Well, and I think the, the message that you started out with is an important one for our listeners, how, how important the family can play a role in the development of, of youth in terms of the outdoors and fishing and fly fishing in particular. And it sounds like that was a, a big impact for you. Absolutely. My father really, you know, he, he really made a point every weekend, whether we were in San Diego during the, the winter months or up in Idaho during the summer, to take me fishing. And in Idaho during the summer, it was every day. In the winter, when we were in San Diego, it was every weekend. And I remember those, those great mornings waking up early. And, uh, you know, hopping in the, uh, he had a little VW bus, and we would go up to some of the local lakes. You know, we'd drive, you know, 30, 40 miles, and we would catch bluegill and, and, and bass and, and catfish. And, and just, you know, being on the boat with him and just and, and knowing that, that he was there, you know, we were experiencing that together was a tremendous experience. And, and, and uh, you know, I'm 40 years old now, and he and I still, uh, on a monthly basis, go out at least at least once to, to kind of uh, revisit those those great times that we used to have. And, and I mean, we have great times now. I mean, uh, uh, we go to Lee's Ferry uh, a couple times a year, and then we do a lot of local fishing around here. So it, it really it really uh, it really was probably the greatest thing to ever happen to me. Well, Conway, 
let's uh, let's get into the Makos. Uh, okay. Uh, people want to learn about the Makos, so let, let's start out just talking about the fish itself. Tell us about the Mako, where they found, what their life cycles like, what they eat, that kind of thing. Um, you know, the Mako shark is a very mysterious shark. Uh, there is not a lot, a lot of information known about them. What we do know is they they kind of they're 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 all over. I mean, they're in every ocean in the world. Um, there are two two types of mako sharks. There's the short fin mako, and then there's the long long fin mako. On the west coast, we don't see long long fin makos. They're primarily off the coast of Africa, and occasionally we'll see them on the east coast or up around Montauk. But they're primarily a deep water shark. Now, a short fin mako uh, is the predominant mako shark on the west coast. Actually, I should say worldwide, but those are the ones we target mostly on the west coast. San Diego or Southern California, or more specifically, the California or the Southern California Bite is a breeding ground, one of only three in the world that they've determined for short fin makos. So that's why we have such a great abundance of fly catchable, fly rod catchable size makos right here in San Diego. Anything between, you know, five and three hundred pounds, but we just got a six hundred pound of the other week, but we'll get into that later. But 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 that's why. Um, but and that's pretty much all we know. We don't really know their migrating patterns. Uh, they've done some satellite tagging on them, the fishing game, Department of Fishing Game in California, National Marine Fisheries. But they're a very mysterious shark. They're just the, a female mako. Her gestation period is probably 15 months. And they have, I think, up to five pups. It's very interesting when, they, when a female mako holds, holds her pups in her, in her, in her, in her, in her, uh, in her uterus, I guess, uh, they start out with 15 pups, and then what happens is that the, mo the more dominant mako pups eat the weaker ones. So in, in utero, they're, they're, they're killing machines. They're eating the, the weakest ones in there, and then when she goes ahead and she pups them, those are the strongest ones. Those are the apex, the apex uh, I guess, predators that, that she's letting out. So it's really interesting. So they're, they're killers before they even, even come out of, her, out, of her, uh, out of her womb. But that's pretty much all we know. Uh, mako sharks, how long they live, there's not a lot of uh, information on that. I would suspect they probably live 30 years, something like that. But they're a fascinating, fascinating shark. And as I said earlier, not a lot is known about them. And we really need to pay attention to that. We, I think we really put, need to put a lot of effort into studying these great, wonderful game fish. What makes them um, unique over other sharks? I mean, why, why the mako on a fly? Why not um, a blue or, or something else? Because they are truly a predator. The, a blue shark is considered a scavenger, and as, as many sharks are. Even, even, I guess even white sharks would be considered scavengers, I guess, but they're a predator also. But the mako shark is the apex predator in the ocean. They're the fastest shark, uh, up, up to 60 miles an hour, I guess, they can go. And I've seen them burn some serious, not only burn line, but I mean, I've seen them track down dolphin and eat them. And dolphin, you know, and what I mean by dolphin, porpoise, uh, they they go tremendously fast in the water, and a mako shark can keep up with them. And then makos chase tuna around their whole life. So and tunas go 30, 40 miles an hour. So they're fast. Uh, and also, once you hook them on a fly rod, they make these tremendous leaps out of the water, up to 20 feet out of the water. So they can jump probably four times their body length. And that's what makes them so dynamic on a fly rod. And they love flies. And oftentimes, you don't even really have to chum them in. If you get if you get a mako shark in the right situation, you can do sight cast to them with a large fly, a marlin popper, or a marlin type fly. Make a couple strips. Shark will come over, pick it up, set the hook, whammo! They're they're off to the races. 
making tremendous runs, and I'm not kidding, 300 yards, and on the way out, they're jumping 20 feet in the air six, seven, eight, nine times. And they're just, they're just dynamic. Wow. Well, that's an amazing story. Yeah, it's, how, how big do they get? Uh, do we know what the world records are for flies and, and standard tackle? Well, I, I think the world record for a fly is 120 pounds, and that was caught off in New Zealand a few years ago. Um, I think that was on 20-pound tippet. Steve Abel actually holds the 16-pound tippet record. I think it was 72 pounds. But, um, for instance, last week we caught and landed or caught and released a mako shark that was 11 feet long. It was estimated between six and 800 pounds. It was probably the largest uh, game fish ever caught on a fly rod. Now we weren't fishing IGFA, but still, I mean, you know, wh what a what a wonderful uh, uh, what a wonderful feat that was. The the gentleman's name was Brandon Mason, and he did an outstanding job on that. And you can see that you can go to go to uh, Field and Stream. You can go to a bunch of, of the different magazines, and they have this this tremendous shark posted up on their website with the jumping shots. I think you'd even go to my website and check it out, bowmanbluewater.com. But I would say the average size mako shark off Southern California is probably 60 to 80 pounds. Um, but we see lots of them in the 200-pound range. So, you know, yeah, and you do see small ones also, five-pound mako shark. That's, that's one that was just popped probably no, no longer than a month ago. So, but, you know, to see the big, we call them gorillas, the big ones that are probably over 400 pounds. Yeah, you'll see those occasionally. To see the really giant ones like we just got the other day, you might see one of those a year. So, Are they a schooling type of fish? The, the smaller makos, they will pack up in loose packs, three to five. But once you get into the really large ones, any mako over probably seven feet long, which is probably a 250-pound mako shark, Typically, they're loners. They're just kind of cruising, you know. So, and it's interesting when you're setting a chum slick for them, you're fishing a, a productive area for mako sharks. You'll have a bunch of small ones around, a couple of 50-pounders, a couple of 120-pounders, and all of a sudden, they clear house, man. They, they just disappear. And, and what do you see? You see a, just a 250- or 300-pound mako just cruising right up the slick. So the, the smaller ones get out of dodge when those big ones come in. Is, do they have any natural enemies? Are there, is there anything that that's a predator on makos? Uh, no. The only thing that's a predator is, is man. I mean, they're, they're, man is the only thing that is actually impacting the, the numbers of, of mako sharks. The, I, I guess the, the next rival in the ocean would be the swordfish, believe it or not. And it's a very interesting battle if you ever see it. Mako sharks, once they reach 200 pounds, they, their primary forage becomes really large things. So, uh, and, and a swordfish is what they like to eat. And I've seen this on occasion where you'll see a swordfish kind of sunning itself out in the ocean and, and, and circling it is a mako shark ready to come in for the kill. What a mako shark will do is they'll come in and they'll bite the tail off the swordfish. But sometimes what happens, the swordfish is, is actually faster than the mako shark in terms of burst speed. So a swordfish will oftentimes be able to see that mako shark come in, position itself, and as the mako comes in, it will stab the mako with its bill. Wow. It is, it is the craziest thing you have ever seen in your life. Um, so I would say the swordfish is really the only rival a mako shark has in the ocean. That's a pretty big uh, rival with that. It <laughs> is. And the sword. Oh, yeah. And, I never realized they actually use that for protection. Oh, my God, yeah. I've seen mako sharks with those things broken off, broken off in them. Wow. And, and the mako is still cruising around. So it, it's really interesting. But to, to see that battle, to witness that, it is... 
it is like you know the gladiators going after each other. And you just want to sit and watch that and go, wow. And the swordfish we have on the West Coast are fairly large. I mean, it's not uncommon to see a 350-pound swordfish out here. So it's, it's, uh, it's really a, a tremendous sight to see. Well, let's talk a, a bit, Conway, about uh, what we need to gather together as far as equipment to, to go after the Makos. Uh, let's talk about rods first. Where do you start with rods? Well, um, I start with an 11 weight. And that's pretty much a good all-around starting point for Makos that are going to be under 100 pounds. Once a Mako gets over 100 pounds, you really need a, a rod that's going to be able to lift them. Once they go through their series of long runs and jumps, and they sound, they'll go down 200, 300 feet. You need a rod to really lift those, those, those sharks up. So um, a, a great workhorse stick for me um, is Scott makes it. Uh, the, the rods I use, I use Scott rods. A Scott HP 15 weight is, is a tremendous rod, but any of them work well. In fact, Winston makes a, a really great 12 weight that I've used on occasion, and it works well. But you really need a, a, a stout rod to be able to lift them up. Um, and also one that has a fairly soft tip so you can actually make a cast. I mean, oftentimes you're making a 50-foot cast because you don't want to hook a mega shark close to the boat. If you hook them close to the boat, there's a good chance they'll jump in the boat, and you really don't want that. So an 11 weight, and then what I would do is I would bump immediately up to a 14 weight. And I usually don't really fish 12s or 13s, although you can do that. It's really whatever the angler is comfortable casting. And um, as I said, you know, a 50-foot cast is probably a Good, a good bet. I mean, you can hook them 20 feet from the boat, but as I said, they're so tremendously fast, they can charge back and jump in the boat. So the further you can cast that, that 11 to 15 weight, the better off you're going to be, and the better off I'm going to be. Is it a special size of Mako that's more apt to end up in the boat if you hook them close to the boat, or is it all comers? All comers, man. You just can't wow. trust them. You just wow. can't trust a Mako shark. They will... They're very unpredictable once you hook them. So typically the way it, it unfolds is the client will make the cast. And, and we use, we, we use, and we'll get into flies later, I'm sure, but I use marlin poppers almost 90% of the time because I, like, I get the shark up on the surface, and they come and they almost rise on it like a, like a big giant trout with teeth. So they rise on it. And what it does is it, it actually turns the shark away from the boat. So when you hook them, they move away from the boat, which is what you want. But sometimes... These sharks are so fast, you'll throw out, and they'll, they'll get on the fly so quickly, quickly they'll take it and run it right back at you. And that's a dicey situation. So what we do is uh, we keep the motor running at all times once we see a mako shark because we oftentimes will turn the boat away from the mako shark just so that scenario doesn't unfold where the mako jumps in the boat. Well, before we move on in equipment, let's take a brief break here. When we return, we'll be talking more with Conway Bowman about fly fishing for mako sharks. Front Range Anglers, a full-service fly shop located in Boulder, Colorado, provides premium tackle and comprehensive instruction and guide services to fly fishers across the country. In business for over 25 years and with a staff that averages 20 years of experience, they will give you the straight story on gear, places to fish, flies, and techniques. They publish a monthly newsletter that is one of the most informative and insightful electronic magazines in the industry. Find out more about this premier shop by logging onto their website at www.frontrangeanglers.com. That's www.frontrangeanglers.com. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio, and we're talking with Conway Bowman about fly fishing for Mako sharks. If you'd like to send a question in to Conway, 
uh, go to our home page, askaboutflyfishing.com, click where it says uh, click here to ask Conway your most important questions. We'll receive those promptly and we'll try to get to as many as we can. Conway, before we move uh, further into the, the tackle uh, aspect of chasing Makos, uh, tell us a little bit about these uh, operations that you have there in San Diego. Yeah, I, we run, uh, or I run, it's called Bowman Blue Water Guides and Outfitters, and it's, you know, it started as a strictly a Mako shark fly fishing operation, but we've kind of expanded into, into blue water as well, chasing tuna, dorado, um, yellowtail, and some of the, the inshore species we have, Pacific bonita, barracuda, and white sea bass. Um, but we're a full-service outfitting service, guide service. We uh, run uh, three boats. We uh, run Triton center consoles uh, with Mercury motors on them. And they're, they're fairly small boats, you know, 24-foot center consoles. Um, but the great thing is is that we're not oftentimes going very far offshore to get these Mako sharks. So, uh, you know, we can oftentimes be into Mako sharks two miles offshore. There are times when we're, we're going 30 miles offshore, but that's not too often. Um, I have three great captains that work for me. Um, all super experienced, not only in fly fishing, but also in conventional fishing, and also uh, in dealing with really large game fish on a fly rod, or just, you know, uh, dealing with large game fish in general. It's kind of an art to, to be able to do that, to be able to get those big fish to the boat and release them, and release them safely. Uh, and they're all outstanding boatmen as well. So um, they're all, they've all been hand-picked by me over the years, and... Uh, I think we have probably the best operation going. In fact, I think we have the only operation going in California doing what we're doing. So I guess it's kind of a monopoly. I don't know. Now, you also have the Ragged Edge School of Fly Fishing? The Ragged Edge Fly Fishing Schools. That, uh, that started last year and with uh, my partner, Kirk Dieter, who, uh, who's a writer, uh, an outstanding writer, actually. He's from Colorado, your home state. And, uh, yeah, what we're the Ragged Edge Fly Fishing Schools are really interesting. We're going to we take people around uh, to various destinations and, and kind of get them um, kind of to the down and dirty of fly fishing. You know, we're not we're not staying in at wine and cheese places and things like that. You know, it's we're going to give them the basics and the hardcore truth about fly fishing. How to approach a big tarpon in Florida. You know, going down to the Biloxi Marsh in Louisiana and uh, you know catching really large redfish. And I'm talking 30 to 40 pound redfish on a fly. You know, so that sort of thing, going to Belize, going to the East Cape in Baja, California, and, and chasing after roosterfish on the beach, which is a very difficult thing to do. But we'll get them out there on the ATVs, and we'll run up and down the beach, and we'll, we'll, you know, we'll try to get our clients into these fish. But, but along the way, we're teaching them how to do it. So the next time they go, you know, they've got the knowledge, and they can go do it without us. So if, if this isn't a uh, wine and cheese deal, is it a beer and broth deal? <laughs> you damn right it is. No, right. no, it's uh, it, it, you know, it's 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 like a, a bunch of your best fishing buddies getting together, and it's really it's really nice and loose, and you know, it's 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 a little more hardcore. You know, um, you know, you're gonna get dirty. You know, we're gonna make you crawl through some. Uh, you know, if if we're steelhead fishing or something, we're gonna make you get dirty. You're gonna crawl through some. You know, some pretty, pretty tough areas. We're, we're going to make, make you wade through some tough areas. Or if you're in the Biloxi Marsh, you're going to go into some spots where, you know, it, it, it's, you know, you're going to get eaten up by the bugs and stuff. But it's, it, it's, it's a little, it's a little bit, it's a little bit dicier than, uh, and dicey not in a dangerous way, but a little bit, you know, um, on the edge. Right? On the edge, man. That's what it is. It's the ragged edge. But I'll tell you, coming out of those experiences, you know, uh, 
the ones that we've done, people come out and go, wow, that was great, man. That was really cool. Because it's a little bit different, I think, than, than a lot of the other things that people are offering. So, And, you know, we're hanging out with the clients, and we're tying flies, and we're, you know, we're drinking beer and eating brats, too. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, let's get, let's get back to that equipment for the Makos. Sure. You talked about the rods. You said probably 11 to, to 14 in there. Uh, what about reels? Any any preferences? And I don't particularly mean brand names here, but um, yeah, um, uh, functionality, uh, that kind of thing. I, I like direct drive reels, but I'll tell you, anterior versus definitely are great. You know, um, it's whatever the angler is comf- comfortable with. Definitely have a tremendous drag. So any cork drag reel is going to work well. Uh, there's some really great reels coming out now with some composite stuff. Uh, for their dra- you know for their drag system, but any really good quality big game fly reel is going to work. You know you don't have to go out and spend a gazillion dollars on some high some fancy reel, but you get you need something that's going to be solid, that's going to be able to handle these these pretty or tremendously large sharks over the duration of maybe a fight for two or three hours. You know you need a reel that's going to withstand that. So, and and that's you know that's pretty much it. So just a good quality reel uh, with a good drag and uh, and you should be good to go. Now you talked about these things being kind of electric when they when you first stick them or sounding real deep. Do you ever see a rod blow up on you under those circumstances? I'm yeah, sure many, many. Yeah, a lot of times we do, and because mako sharks change directions so quickly. Also, they kind of wind up. You'll hook them, then they kind of wind up, and they're very deceiving because they're so big. And, and you know, when you hook a tarp, and you know they're jumping right off. Well, sometimes a mako, you hook them, and they just kind of sit there and wrestle with you for about ten seconds. Then they wake up, and they go, "Okay, now I'm going to show you." And they they'll change directions in a split second. And oftentimes the angle just can't get the rod in the right spot. So what we do is we kind of walk people through the scenario. Make sure your rod's low to start off with. You know, you make your strip strike. Don't lift the rod tip up because you don't know what that shark's going to do. But uh, we do get quite a few broken rods. You ever blow up a reel? I have blown up reels before, yes. I had some prototypes out a couple of years ago, and uh, they didn't last the day. We had... um, I think we had one shark on that was probably 300 pounds, and it, it basically smoked the reel. I mean, it, the drag just completely blew out of it. But it was good because the reel went back to the company, and they made the adjustments, and now it's one of the best reels on the market. So, Yeah, I get a lot of R&D stuff. Guys just think, you know, wow, this guy's catching big fish every day. You know, let's send him out some of our stuff to see how it lasts, you know, see how it, see how it holds up. And, uh, and, so, and, and that's great because it's, you know, I'll do it. I'll blow up any reel you got. I, I suppose in San Diego, if you get in a pinch, you could always just go uh, snag an aircraft carrier. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, they're all over the or a submarine. There are a lot of submarines out there too. Now, um, what weight backing do you use, and how much do you put on your standard reels? I'm still kind of an old old school kind of guy. I have 350 yards of 30 pound Dacron, but behind that, I back that with uh, 30 pound. Power Pro, which is you know like a, a gel spun, and I'll put probably an additional 400 yards of that on. So I think overall I've got almost a thousand yards of backing with with the Power Pro as well as the uh, as well as the Dacron. So, but the thing is, you know, you get a, a shark that runs you out 300 yards. You know, we're chasing it down. If you if you get if you get a shark into that Dacron backing, you know, or, or into the uh, Power Pro or, or the gel spun, that that fish is gone. I mean, he'll never stop him. He's just going to Hawaii. He's he's out of there. So so you you can't catch up with him with a boat. Yeah, I mean you could, but a lot of times they just stay so far away from you, you can't get them. So and oftentimes what happens, they'll get so far out there, they'll stay on the surface, and their tail will just keep bumping the line, and then it'll just break the line eventually. So and the deal with a boat is you want to keep an angle on a shark. Right. So you know if you hook one up quickly, 
and it makes us run, immediately we're on it. So we're keeping the angle. We want to keep the angle on the shark. And oftentimes that helps break the fish really quick or break the shark quickly. So they sometimes will come right to the boat. For some reason, I don't know, maybe they feel like they're defeated or maybe they want to attack the boat, I don't know. But they come to the boat, we get a really clean release quickly, oftentimes within 30 minutes. But if they keep going, and I've seen this, they just keep going and going and going. There's just no way. They just stay away from the boat. 200 yards, you'll never get to them. And then eventually something goes wrong, a knot breaks, they clip the line with their tail, or they change direction so quickly they come back on the line and they saw it off. And the other thing is, you know, a lot of times you lose these sharks during the first series of jumps. You know, so they'll jump, they'll, they'll, they'll cartwheel out of the water, 20 feet out of the water, six or seven times. And a lot of times you don't make it through that with, with, uh, with, with tippets, you know, or even fly lines. Because so, if they roll back on the fly line, it, it's pretty much done. Well, now that you bring it up, tell us in detail. We've had a number of questions about where the rubber meets the road, uh, where your, your line and your tippet and your wire uh, tell us all about the, that, that rigging. That whole scenario? Yep. Overall, my leaders are about seven to eight feet long. And um, let's just start with coming off the fly line, and we'll go right to a butt section. I use 40 pounds uh, hard mono, Mason hard mono. And then from that, I go to a class tippet, uh, which you know, I use anywhere from 20 to 30 pound tippets. You know? And it's not really a class tippet, because I, I don't go for, for IGFA. I like just getting these sharks in as quickly as possible and releasing them. So once you go from the class tippet or the 30-pound or 20-pound tippet, what I do is I have a little tuna ring that I haywire twist into a three-foot piece of 58-pound stainless steel single-strand wire. And it's single-strand. There's no multiple strands in there. And the reason why is because multiple-strand wire uh, will wear out over the over the duration of a fight with a shark. They just kind of wear through it, and then it starts unraveling. What the single strand does, it kind of sits neatly between the shark's teeth. It's almost like dental floss, so they can't work on it you know, as they're shaking their head and whatnot. So from the single, single strand wire, I go down to my fly, and I use a number of different type flies that I tie, or I have a couple of really great tires that tie for me, and they're, they're tenot, really large tenot, Tiemco uh, hooks, really wide gape on them, and the flies are probably about anywhere from 10 to 13 inches long. And some have popper heads, which I do prefer, but sometimes we take the popper head off and it's just a standard marlin streamer. Now, going, I want to come back to the flies here, but just one quick question back on the, the backing. You said um, you, knew, you used the Dacron and then the gel spun behind that. What's the, what's the reason behind combining the two? Well, the gelsman, you just get more, you get more uh, backing on your reel. I guess, you know, you could, you could probably get away with just the, the, the 350 yards of, uh, of Dacron. But um, it's, just, it's just something I do, you know. Um, I guess I feel more secure with 1,000 yards of something on there versus 350, you know. So, um, but the different materials. Yeah, you know, because you, you could never get that much Dacron on, on a reel. You know, oh, uh, oh, just the, with the size of the... Exactly, yeah. The 30-pound Dacron is fairly large, and the 30-pound uh, Power Pro or 20-pound Power Pro is very... It's, I think it's got the diameter of a 6-pound test. Mm-hmm. So you get a lot more you, know, you get a lot more line on that, on that, on that fly reel, so, or a lot more backing. So. I see. Okay. Now, the, the flies you talked to, you, you mentioned earlier, using marlin poppers. and Can you kind of describe the fly, fly more in detail? And it, it, it Also, is there any place... On the web, on your site, uh, where you would find patterns like this? For yeah. Um, 
first of all, the flies, as I said, are fairly large, 10 to 12 inches. Um, and I, I use a color combination, orange and red, pink and blue, or just straight red. I think the orange and red combination is the best. And I use a really nifty little head. It's called an Ichthyos head. And uh, the fly tire, his name is Bob Dybel, and he, he ties these tremendous flies for me. But he created this little hard kind of a hard synthetic head that I slip over the top of the, uh, right, you know, right over the top of the fly. And it, it actually saves the fly uh, from getting, you know, chomped up over the duration of the day. You can use one of these flies, you know, over and over and over. But it also, on the head, there's a big holographic eye, which is really interesting. And I found that mako sharks love it. That drives them crazy. And it, they just get really aggressive when they see that. And they just slam the fly. So, but Bob and I have been fishing together for years, and we've kind of brainstormed over the years on, on what would be the ultimate Mako fly, and I think he makes it. Um, in fact, he's, he's connected to my website, so if anybody wants to go to that, bowmanbluewater.com, they can check it out. And uh, he's, a, he's a great fly tire, uh, not only for shark stuff, but big marlin stuff, and, uh, and a really great uh, blue water fly fisherman. And then, I have another guy named Richard Lewis out of El Segundo, California, and he ties some, some really great uh, flies as well. In fact, the Spirit River catalog, I think they're in Spirit River right now. They're called the Mako Madness fly. And they're a little bit smaller, and they're, they're almost like a deceiver, but they're still fairly large. They're tied on an 8 to a 10-aught Tamco hook, and the profile is a little bit smaller. So sometimes Mako sharks get a little persnickety, and you have to change it up. If you hook them a couple times and you lose them, they come back. Let's say you hook them on the big Ixtheos fly, a lot of times you have to scale down and then present something different to them, and then they'll hit it. So, But those are pretty much the only two flies I use. And then, as I said, I'll slide a popper head in front of them most, in most cases. And, it, it, you know, so it just makes a really, a really great fly. So you don't need a, a large variety of flies, just a few different color combinations and a couple exactly. of pipes yeah. pretty well set. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, as I said, orange, red. It, believe me, orange and red, I mean, day in, day out, I would probably use that. And have some popper heads with you, too, and then you should be fine. And they're, they're just so aggressive at that point that they're just chomping at anything? Is oh, yeah. Those Ixtheos flies, you can throw them out, and and those are what I use to sight cast when I'm not chumming, too. You throw them out, make one strip, and I don't know what it is. It just drives them batty. They just go nuts, and they just come over and attack it. I think because it's large, it's got a big profile, but also the colors and that little, that holographic guy just, just totally ticks them off. It's pretty amazing to see. And... Did you say I didn't? I didn't. Maybe you did, but I, I didn't listen. Um, did you say you're using barbless hooks or not? Barbless hooks, absolutely. Okay. It makes it really easy on the release, and I've got to release them. So let's talk then about. I think we've pretty much covered everything there. We've talked about rods. We've talked about reels, the backing, the tippet, uh, the wire, and so forth, and the fly. So we're we're pretty well set to go. So let's go find some. How how do we go out and find these sharks? And uh, and how do we just target Makos out there? Well, um, as I said, it took me two years to figure out what was going on out here. So I, as I said, I had some hard lessons learned in a little aluminum boat going 20 and 30 miles offshore. But the first place that I look is the 100 fathom curve, which is, they call it the continental shelf. And we're very fortunate in San Diego. That's only maybe four miles off the beach. So that's where I look. And uh, that's kind of a great upwelling area. So you'll go from 100 fathoms, which is 600 feet, and then it goes immediately up to 200 feet. So you have this big, almost like a mountain range, this big kind of uh, cliff that kind of runs underwater. And it causes a lot of upwelling. And with upwelling, you have a lot of bait. And bait, you have bigger game fish. And behind the bigger game fish, you have the big mangoes. 
it's fairly simple. I mean, you just you go out, you find these spots, and you start looking around for birds. You start looking around for bait. You start looking around for the right water temperature. And the Mako season starts around June, and that's when the water temperature hits about 65 degrees, and that's when you really start seeing Mako sharks. And then the water kind of progresses through the summer, and it gets up to about 72 degrees, and then that's when you really start seeing big volumes of mako sharks, and that would probably be around, you know, anywhere from mid-July through August. But these sharks hang out on this continental shelf during the season almost all the time, and they're just cruising back and forth on it. So throughout the day, you know, I can go out and I can cover four or five spots, and if not all those spots, if, if, they, if, they, if, if they all don't fish well, at least one's going to fish well. The other, the other important thing is moon phases. Uh, moon phases are probably, um, it, it, next to water temperature and bait, a moon phase is the next thing you need to have. Uh, mako sharks feed heavily on new moons, and they feed heavily on full moons. You're not, you're, they're not going to feed as heavily uh, between those two moon, moon phases. And with a heavy moon phase, you have a lot of current, and current creates some sort, some, does something to the bait fish, does something to the, uh, to the mako sharks that just makes them super aggressive and more abundant. So, yeah, so 100 fathom curves, and that's, that's pretty much where I go. Three miles off, offshore, that's where I start. Now, there are times when I'm going 20 miles offshore because, for instance, the water on the inside might, may not be right, you know, maybe cooler than the outside water. But there are offshore banks in San Diego, maybe 20, 30 miles offshore, that have that same scenario, 100 fathoms, and they come up to 200 feet. So, and that's pretty much it in a nutshell. Now, did the, you had mentioned the season here. It's June to August primarily. Uh, is the rest of the year uh, a time when you wouldn't fish for makos, or are they around still then? Well, they're around, but not in great numbers. And typically, at that time of year, they'll move offshore. They'll move 20, 30 miles offshore. And they... they they're harder to catch because they're not around. Now, if you want to target really giant makos, like, you know, the 500 to 1,000 pounders, which, you know, I, on a fly rod, it's, it's, it's kind of kind of ludicrous. But you can go out and look for those. But, yeah, the season in San Diego is, is I would say, it's June through October, you know, but you're really going to find your peak fishing in, in July and August. But during the wintertime, there's a tremendous blue shark fishery out here. So it kind of changes, you know, so you'll, you'll move out of the makos and you get into blue sharks, which are a, a pretty good adversary on a fly rod as well. They don't jump, but they, they will battle you to the end. I mean, they're, they're, they're a very tough shark to get. And they do a lot of that on the East Coast. They, they fly fish for blue sharks quite a bit. When you're out, are you sight fishing? Or if you don't see any, then you're chumming to try to bring them up? Exactly. There's two things I do. On, on, on a specific moon phase, which is usually the, the before a new or before an before a new moon or before a full moon, I'll go out and I will look for finning makos. For some reason, they, they, they tend to fin up on the surface during those moon phase times. And you have to have the right conditions. You have to have slick glass water, and you have to have a fairly low light. So maybe a we have a thing here in California called, or San Diego called the, the, the San Diego Eddy, which is kind of like cloud cover. It's almost like fog, really high fog. So it creates a low light uh, situation. And on those situations, you'll see mako sharks finning up on the surface. So you don't even have to chum them then. You go out and you sight cast them like you would tarpon. Then the other way is you go out and you find the productive areas along that 100 fathom curve and you set a chum slick. And um, 
if you have the right current, you're going to cover a lot of ground in, in, a, in a very short amount of time. And, you know, obviously if, if the sharks are in the area, they're going to come right to the boat. And that chumming is really probably the most productive way because you're going to have a lot of shots at a lot of, at a lot of sharks. You're going to be able to have four or five sharks around the boat, and you'll be able to sight cast to them right there. Whereas when you're hunting them down, when they're, when they're out finning, you're covering a lot of ground. You're not seeing as many sharks. But oftentimes when you're sight casting to finners, you're going to sight cast to fish that are over 200 pounds. So, you know, it's just kind of, um, I, you know, it's just what an angler really wants to do. I love to go out and hunt these things. You know, I, I may not see one at all, but at least the process of hoping that one's going to be there really makes it exciting. And where do you get your chum and what do you do with it? Do you grind it up? Do you catch it yourself? I have a uh, I have a really great guy that owns a uh, fish market. <laughs> he basically, you know, leaves me his fresh albacore and tuna cuttings, and he puts it in a in a melt crate for me, and I pick it up, and it's all fresh stuff, not frozen. And uh, you know, we just put that in a melt crate, a burlap sack. It's it's very not sophisticated, and go out and just kind of dump it over the side. You know, you keep it in the melt crate, and you just drift around, and you're not, it's not like the movie, it's not like Jaws where you're dumping all this stuff in the water, all this blood. You don't need that. You just need a very, a little bit of, of oil off, off the albacore or, you know, or the tuna's, you know, flesh, and that brings them right to the boat. Mm-hmm. And, and albacore and yellowfin and also bluefin tuna, that's the primary forage early in the season for mako sharks. So they're keying into that scent, believe it or not. So it's almost like you're matching the hatch. You just, you know. You're setting that out there, and it's like ringing the dinner bell. But you can buy commercial chum. They have it in big buckets. But I find it's definitely not as productive as the fresh stuff. Well, we've got a lot of questions here uh, yet, but let's take a brief break. And when we come back, we'll be talking with Conway about fly fishing for Makos. Flats Time Charters is your sponsor for this segment of our show. Captain Bob Jaspers of Flats Time Charters will introduce you to Mosquito Lagoon, Indian River, and the no-motor zone of the Banana River on the east coast of central Florida. Only a short drive from Orlando, you will sight fish for big redfish, spotted sea trout, and black drum, as well as a seasonal snook or tarpon. Captain Bob is a lifetime resident of the area and shows in his knowledge of the local fish, flora, and fauna. Call Flats Time Charters now and arrange your next memorable adventure. You can reach Captain Bob Jaspers at 321-631-4051. That's 321-631-4051, or go to his website, www.flatstime.com. That's www.flatstime.com. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio, and we're talking with Conway Bowman about fly fishing for Mako sharks. If you'd like to send a question in to Conway, go to our homepage, askaboutflyfishing.com, to click here. To ask Conway your most important question, we've got our questions coming in, and we'll be answering as many as we possibly can. You might also take the opportunity to register for the uh, nice uh, giveaways that we have uh, on the show as well. Conway, we have a question here that has just come in uh, asking if you would, uh, and and I know you're uh, a catch-and-release barbless hook guy, but they want to know about your views uh, on conservation for mako sharks. This comes from uh, Vista, California. Yeah, I, uh, I'm, I am a, 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 a conservationist through and through. I don't keep mako sharks. Never will keep a mako shark. Um, I think, I, I think, um, you know, killing mako sharks for records is is is. It, I don't think it's right. Um, uh, so you know, 
they, they need to be protected since they are the apex predator. And um, once they go out of whack, once their numbers go down, everything in the ocean kind of goes out of whack. So people need to understand that. And I, I know it's glamorous to get a record and hoist it up and you know get get in the record books, but um, I make it very clear to my clients that you know that's something we don't do. So, but there are other guys that would take you out there to to get an IGFA record. But it just isn't worth it for me because these wonderful sharks have been so good to me in my in my uh, my my operation that to, to kill one just couldn't I, I could never do it. So. And, and I am I am adamantly against any sort of shark tournaments. Um, I think the National Marine Fisheries and the Department of Fish and Game of California need to get get together and figure out some sort of system where they reduce the commercial takes on mako sharks as well as the recreational takes. And I think they should set up something like like they do with deer tags. You know, you can get one mako shark a year, and that's it. You buy your tag, you get it. The rest of the sharks need to be released, and that's it. And we're very very adamant about that. I do have a question here regarding uh, whether you have any statistics on the survival rate of fish that you uh, catch and release. I have no idea. All I know is when we release them, they swim away, swim away very, very good, very, very strongly. So I would assume that uh, that uh, they do fairly well. Um, in the past, we have picked up smaller mega sharks to take pictures, but that's something we don't do anymore. Um, because I think if you take any sort of uh, game fish out of out of its element. It's so foreign to them, it might really screw them up on the inside. So keeping them in the water is, is key. Getting them to the boat as quickly as you possibly can is is key also to ensure that they're going to survive after that fight. And they, they blow a lot of energy in the fights, in those fights. But also, as I said, I, I've, I've released them, and they've swam, they've swam away so well. I mean, I've caught sailfish and marlin that were pretty much beaten up, and I know they didn't survive. So... And that's the other thing, you know, when, when people go fly fishing for marlin and, uh, and sailfish, they should never take them out of the water for a picture because that, that pretty much breaks their spine. The, uh, the mortality rate on, on, on the marlin is, is very, very high, I think. Conway, just a couple questions uh, on locating uh, and weather before we, we talk about casting and hooking and landing and all that. I want to get into great detail about that. But uh, we had a question that, you know, you talked about new moon. Uh, full moon and um, overcast days. What about other times, uh, other weather factors? Uh, how do they play a role in time of day? Morning, afternoon, evening better? I think um, if you're on the right moon phase, you have the right current, it, it really doesn't matter. I'll tell you, my favorite time to fish is midday. You have high, you know, you have high sun, high light, and and with with a with probably a 15 knot breeze on the water because what what that's doing is it's creating some sort of um, well let me let me backtrack if mako sharks when it's really glassy on the surface they they're a lot more cautious even though that's when you want to target them when you're sight casting when you're chumming they tend not to come to the boat which is really interesting what I, what I have kind of surmised is that. When you have glassy a glassy surface, it's very unnatural for a predator, you know, to, to come into something like to attack a boat or attack, you know, or to attack prey. But when you have any sort of texture on the water, and oftentimes the rougher the better, they come right into the boat and they're really aggressive. So I think the wind on top of the water creates some sort of kind of a veil for them, and they 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 maybe they feel more sneaky or something. But I have found some of my best mako days. The wind was blowing 20 knots. Uh, we had pretty high sun. You know, it was high sun. It was midday, and you could see these makos coming in for you know from 100 yards away, and that's good too. So, when I'm guiding, 
um, oftentimes I'm spotting those mako sharks way out there. So I do need that visibility so I can see them coming in, so I can tell the angler to get ready to make his cast. So, But that would be perfect, but it's not like that every day. I'd say the days I don't like are when there's absolutely no wind and we're not on a really good moon phase because the mako sharks pretty much, even if they're there, they don't come to the boat. Interesting. Well, you talked about uh, telling your angler to make the cast. Uh, give us some insight into how it is that uh, the fly is presented to the, uh, to the fish. When a mako shark comes into the slick, there's a couple different things that happen. They can come in really hot and, I mean, ready to, ready to do battle. So what I'll t uh, tell the angler is, okay, just hold on. When you see, when, and I'll say, when you see that shark in sight, just go ahead and place the fly five feet to either side of, of of the of the shark's eye, you know, or or cast beyond him because when a shark's coming in, they will pick up they will pick up that big fly. They'll see it and they'll I mean, they will turn on a dime to pick it up. Um, that's the that's that's the perfect scenario. Now sometimes you get mako sharks that come into the slick and they kind of cruise around, they circle the boat and they're they're kind of goofing around and they're not really committed. And at that point, I'll tell the angler to hold on. And what I'll do is I'll I'll, I'll do a bait and switch technique, very similar to how you bait and switch marlin. Or, or sailfish. So I have, a, I have a, a marlin jig, a skirt, and on a conventional rod, and I will pitch that out in front of the mako shark, and I will wind that back, and oftentimes they will pick up the motion of, of, the, of, the, of the marlin skirt or, or whatever, and they will chase that thing down. And now at that point, I've basically teased that shark into a frenzy, and then the angler can angler can throw the fly out, and the shark will come up and pick the fly. So those are the two scenarios. I thought I saw in your video something that looked like a teaser that you yeah. were using. You know, sometimes you need you really need to do that, especially big mako sharks. You know how you know oftentimes it's hard to convince a big mako shark to hit a a, a fly that's you know 13, 13 inches long, even though that's big. But if you're throwing at a mako that's 300, 200, 250, 300 pounds. You got to give them a little taste of something. So the, the teaser really—it's almost like teasing a cat. You know, you get them, you, you throw it right in front of them, you reel it back, they get on it, and then they get really ticked off. And so what you do is you you, you pitch that that teaser, you know, away from the boat. You never want to pull it right at you if you're teasing, because the mako shark oftentimes will follow that that teaser right up into the boat. And if you do, if if the mako does that, it's jumping in the boat and it's going after you. So what you do is you you bring it in and you swing it to to, to your outside shoulder. So once you do that. The shark is keyed in on that teaser, and the fly looks very similar to that teaser. So that the angler makes that 30 to 50 foot cast, makes one pop with it, create you know, it makes some noise. Shark sees it, goes over, picks it up, boom, shark's on. And I tell you, it's a 95 percent hookup rate once once they're dialed in. It's just you know, it's it's hard to miss. Okay, so you've you've got your fly out there. The shark swims up and takes it. Now, how do you stick them? What's the, what's your technique? You take a deep breath, <laughs> and you. And it takes a little bit of patience. You take a deep breath. You let let the line come tight. All right. So you make the cast. The shark takes it. Okay. Let the line come tight. When the shark takes it, a lot of times they're not. They're they're. They just kind of you know they, they they take it in and they don't run away from the boat. They'll just kind of sit there and you know kind of cruise. And once they feel the tension on that line, that's what fires them up and then they take off. So you make the cast. Shark takes it. And oftentimes the whole head's pitched up out of the water because you know the shark's hitting a, a popper. So you see the whole thing. You see the eye. You see the teeth. You see the head. The whole thing's coming up. You let it come tight. And once it comes tight, you strip strike once, twice, three times. I mean, and then on that fourth time, you really hit them hard. 
hard strip strike with a sweep to either the right or left. Not not straight up and down, but sweep the rod and then stick it to him. Then that shark's going to wake up. He's gonna, and if everything works out right, the shark's going to run away from the boat at warp speed. The line's going to clear off the deck. If you get the shark on the reel, expect some jumps. The shark makes a series of jumps. The shark gets through the jumps. All you got to do now is hang on and keep tension on the shark. That's it. And it, now it's my job to motor up on that fish, keep the right rod angle, keep the tension right if the shark changes directions. You know, so if you get through the, the, the hook set, the run, and the jumps, you're in. I mean, the chances of losing that shark are pretty slim unless it gets so far out there, as I said earlier, clips the line with the tail, or does something crazy like makes a crazy sound three, 400 feet, and then does the same thing, you know, clips the line, comes back on the line. So that's it. But it, it's funny. I even have trouble doing that, you know, sometimes because, it, it, you know, it's exciting. I mean, you're hooking a 300-pound fish right in front of you. It's, you know, you got to take a deep breath. Sounds exciting to me. i got sweaty palms listening to you. Go, go to the website. It's amazing. You've seen some of those, those I've, jumping I've things. seen it. It's, it's awesome. It's pretty now, wild. I, I do have a question about uh, these jumps. Uh, do you bow to the jump like they do with tarpon? No, you don't have to because the thing is when a mako jumps, what they'll do first is they'll dive down. They'll go down maybe 20, maybe 100 feet. So they're, they're going down, 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 down. And then what they do is they rocket up. They come straight up out of the water. Now, by, bowing to a fish, you're, you're giving, like, for instance, tarpon, you're giving him a little bit of slack, a little bit of line so he doesn't snap the tippet, right? Well, there's so much, there's so much, there's so much uh, drag in the line with a mako shark when they come out, up out of the water. It doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter what you do. All you've got to do is hold on and keep the tension on them. So if you can envision that, the shark going straight down and then coming straight up out of the water like a missile, that's what happens. And what the fly line is doing, when that shark is 20 feet in the air, there's still a good portion of that fly line that's 20 feet under the water. But sometimes, you know, makers will make a run, they'll go down, and they'll, they'll jump behind the boat. They're not going to jump where you think they're going to jump because they're so fast. So you think they're going to jump straight out in front of you. Next thing you know, you know, you're looking one way, I'm looking over behind the boat, and there he is, 20 feet out of the air. You hear the splash, you turn around, and you say, what was that? And I said, well, that was the Mako shark you just hooked. So it, it, it's totally crazy. Wow. Yeah. I have a question from Jim in Savannah, Georgia, about uh, how to set your drag on big fish. Uh, he says some guides have recommended uh, a heavy drag setting, and others have recommended a lighter setting with additional drag. Uh, provided by your stripping hand, and, and uh, he wonders what your opinion is in that regard. Um, I think the latter is, is probably where I, I, I kind of I, I gravitate towards, but I think it also comes with experience. Um, with mako sharks, I want a looser, a, a looser drag because I want that shark to get away from the boat, and I don't want to, you know, I don't want that shark hanging around the boat. And sometimes, you know, you can adjust your drag too tight, and the, and the shark will not move away from the boat. It's the same with billfish, and it, not, it's not so much with tarpon, though, but a looser drag is, is a little bit, for me, it's easier to control because I have more control over it, you know. But as I said, it's personal, personal preference. Each guy is going to tell you something different. Um, I like a looser drag, gets the fish away from the boat, then I can kind of control what's going on with my palm. Some guys do like a tighter drag because they just, you know, they'll set it and that's it. So, you know, I don't know. Um, I guess just go out and kind of find what works for, for, for you, and that's probably, you know, what's going to work best for you. I'm trying to think. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, that's pretty much it. So, yeah. Conway, 
when you're playing the fish, uh, you use the keeping your rod basically just a, a little more than a little more up than level off the water. Uh, is that the standard position you want to be in? That is the standard. Yep, exactly. You don't want to bring it up any higher than I think it's what 90 degrees. Never do that because you you really want to you want to battle these fish or these sharks at a fairly low angle. Because fly rods are designed to cast. The new blue water fly rods are designed to cast and fight a fish. And the higher you lift your rod tip, the less you're using the butt section of that rod to fight to fight the fish. Also, when a, when a when a mega shark sounds, they go straight down. They'll get out 300 feet. You need to do a thing we call short stroking. So when you reel, you have that low rod angle automatically. What you do is you reel that rod tip into the water, and oftentimes I reel the whole the whole rod into the water. So that's eight and a half nine feet of rod. And then I lift, and then once that rod tip comes out of the water, I reel back down again. So you're maximizing the power in that rod. And if you get it above 90 degrees, it's not going to do you any good. Yeah, and, and you take a, a chance of breaking it. Exactly, and that's exactly right. Yep. Then how do we how do we land and, and release the fish? Okay, we've been fighting them for a while. We've been doing good. We finally got them to the boat. Uh, what's next? Well, that's that's where I that's where it gets dangerous for me. Yeah. Um, what happens is a lot of times mako sharks will come to the boat fairly quickly, and that's the, my first opportunity to release the fish or release the shark quickly, and to ensure that shark's going to not be stressed out and you know it's it's going to survive. So angler gets gets the shark within range, and sometimes it, you know the shark will come to the boat, and then he'll move away from the boat. Shark will come to the boat again, then he'll move away from the boat. But each time, the shark gets closer and closer, and the angler needs to keep tension on that shark at all times. And this is where an angler needs to button down the drag. That, this is where you, you, you don't want to have that shark running away from the boat with a loose drag. So that's where I would probably either go adjust the drag for the angler, tighten it, or I would say go ahead. And if the guy knows how to adjust his drag, I would have him adjust it. So, shark's close to the boat. I will have the... I will have the angler step back to one of the gunnel rails, whether it's the port or starboard side, depending on what I'm doing. So the angler steps back. I step in front of the angler. Now the shark is right alongside the boat, and I keep the boat going about two or three knots. It's in gear, so it's kicking along. And that keeps those sharks pretty calm because they're moving. If you stop the boat, that stops the shark, and that's totally foreign to a shark, and they freak out. And that's another opportunity for that shark to jump in the boat and then start, you know, you know, you know, dishing it, you know, you know, putting a hurt on me. So, anyway, the boat's in gear. I grab the leader. All right, I have my release stick. I have a four-foot release stick with an open-ended kind of a huge, uh, kind of an open-ended hook on the end of it. So I slide that 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 release stick down the, the leader, and I put it right where the gape of the hook is in the side of the shark's mouth. And that's the other thing. You know, most of these sharks are hooked right in the side of the mouth, right in the soft part. It's great, and that's why you sight cast them. You can see everything going on. So anyway, so slide it down. I apply a little bit of light pressure. I usually, uh, I'll pull on the steel leader, apply light pressure with the release stick in the mouth, and it is a smooth uh, release. The barbell's hook, ma hook makes it great. The shark just kind of rolls over, looks at me, and just kind of gracefully moves off. That is how it unfolds 95% of the time. Now, the other 5% of the time, the shark can get really strange. If I stick that gaff in, or the uh, release stick in the mouth, they can freak out. And I've had sh these sharks take gas out of my hand. They clamp down on them. And they're they're actually they're 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 tossing me back and forth. And I, I think I've got some video of that, literally. And I don't want to let go of that release stick. 
and he doesn't want to let go of the release stick. So it's almost like a WWF, you know, wrestling match. You know, who's going to win? And I'm battling out a 200-pound, 300-pound mako shark. But you know, more often than not, I win the battle. Either the, the, the either the line breaks, the fly just kind of dislodges itself. You know, or you know, or I lose the gaff, which has happened on occasion too. <laughs> so, but it gets interesting. So those are the two scenarios right there. We're going to take a little break here again, and when we return, we'll answer more of the questions about fly fishing for makos. And and I really want to dig into this fish in the boat business. This sounds a little uh, unrealistic, <laughs> so you're going to have to clear that up for us, guys. Okay, you got it. Well, this segment of our show is brought to you by the Platte River Fly Shop in Casper, Wyoming. Featuring a first-class website, which covers all aspects of fly fishing the tailwaters of the North Platte River, including up-to-date local fishing reports, fly patterns, guide services, and online shopping for top-of-the-line gear for any travel destination. Platte River Fly Shop provides professional guide staff for the Blue Ribbon, Trophy Gray Reef, and Miracle Mile sections of the North Platte River. Visit their extensive website at www.yotrout.com, that's W-Y-O-Trout.com, or call the Platte River Fly Shop at 1-307-237-5997. Again, 307-237-5997. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio, and we're talking with Conway Bowman about fly fishing for Mako Sharks. If you'd like to ask Conway a question, just go to our homepage at www.askaboutflyfishing.com and click on the link below the description of the show that says click here to ask Conway your most important question. We'll receive your questions immediately and we'll try to answer as many of them as we can live on the show. Well, Conway, you've mentioned this probably five or ten times tonight about a fish getting in the boat, jumping mm-hmm. in the boat. seems to have you worried. Um, is this for real? <laughs> Oh, absolutely, it's for real. Yeah, there. Yeah, anything's possible, and that is a, a real uh, a thing that can really happen. I mean, it, it, as I said, mako sharks are fairly unpredictable. But you know, um, all the years I've been doing this, I have never had one in the boat. I've had them jump over the bow of the boat. Um, if that were to happen, basically, it's my job to get that shark out of the boat. So you know, and it, I there's a game plan before we go out with clients or anybody. It's like, look, if this happens, folks, this is where I want you to be. I want you to be on top of the center console and get the hell out of the way of the shark because now I'm, you know, it's my job to get this thing out of there. If it's a 200-pound mako, I might be up on that center console with you just let, letting the shark jump around because they will find their way out of the boat. And I've seen that happen before. They've jumped into, into boats, not my boat, but I've seen them jump into boats and they work their way around, and they find usually they find a transom, and they'll jump right out. So the thing about a mako shark, they're, they're fairly they're, they're a fairly intelligent shark, and they will find their way out of a boat. They'll find their way out of a out of a drift net, you know. So, but anyway, if one gets in the boat, it it, it can get it can get dicey. But it hasn't happened to me yet. Hopefully it never does. If it does, I, I hopefully you know I'll be prepared for that. But it's always in the back of my mind. So I think with it being in the back of my mind, that's a good thing. I, I you know I know that it potentially could happen. But you know my my client's safety and my customer safety is is the eight is the paramount thing. So we go through a whole you know scenario thing. If if one gun comes in the boat, this is what you're going to do. So yeah. Well, and, what do you what do you think makes them so uh, acrobatic? 
You know, nobody really knows. I mean, you, you'll see them free jumping out in the ocean, and, and the, the theory there is they're shaking sea lice off of them. Yeah, that, that, I guess that makes sense. But I don't know. I, I just think that um, maybe, you know, why to tarpon jump? Why to marlin jump? I don't know. It's just... It, I, it, I, I, I can't explain it. All I know is it, it's a tremendous sight, and I'm, I'm just so happy they do it. <laughs> All right. Well, can you tell us a little bit about, uh, and, and I, I assume this is one of those things where we, we immediately caution, this is a professional, don't try this at home. Tell us about catching a mako from a kayak. There's yeah. no center console to climb in a kayak. Right. Well, first thing is don't ever do that. I, I'm not <laughs> telling anybody to do that. And I did it, and I'll, I'll never do it again. It was kind of a, you know, in retrospect, it probably wasn't the smartest thing to, that, to ever, that I ever did, but it was kind of the heat of the moment. I, I thought it was – I didn't think it was funny, but, you know, I – well, the way it happened was a small mako came into the chum slick, and I said, oh, I can handle this guy. He's not going to hurt me. Well, right behind him was about a 250-pounder that was longer than the kayak. And my instinct was, hell, well, shoot, I'm out here already. I may as well try to hook him, hoping that the shark was never going to hit the popper, and it did. Then I was off for a Nantucket sleigh ride for about three-quarters of a mile, and I think it towed me three-quarters of a mile in like six minutes or something. It was amazing. But, you know, through the duration of that fight, about halfway through it, I'm going, what the hell's going on here? You know, this is dangerous. You know, I, I potentially could, could, you know, could have some serious problems here. But just right when that happened, the shark came back, actually came back at the kayak, and that's when I was going, uh-oh, this is it. And then he bit through the line, so thank God that happened. But you should never fish mako sharks out of a kayak. They're, they're just way too dangerous to do. And, you know, they, they, have, they, they are the only shark documented to attack a boat for no apparent reason. I mean, attack it. I mean, just come up and grab it. And So if they, if they, if they attack a boat, then they would definitely do it to a kayak if, if, they, if they wanted. So I would never do it. I would never do it again. I, I don't, you know, advise anybody to do that. It was kind of a, you know, it was a bozo maneuver on my part and uh, one that I, I came out safely, but I, I definitely could have been on the other end of the stick on that one. Well, I've I've seen the the pictures in several places of this 11 footer that was taken just recently, and yeah. I guess the, the two things that struck me: one was the thing gnawing on the I guess that was the chum bucket. It was yeah, on. it was the milk crate. Yep. Yeah, that and the fact that that 11 foot shark was out of the water farther than its own body length, and that impressed me greatly in terms of their acrobatic abilities. Yeah, they can jump. I think it's three to four times their body length. That shark was out of the water, they said, 25 feet. Yeah, I mean, and if you look at those pictures, I mean, it looks like Shamu. It, it's, it's gigantic. And um, it was an interesting, interesting shark. It chased the boat for an hour. I mean, it literally chased the boat down. And Dave tried to get away from it just because once it got to the boat, it wouldn't leave the chum bat, wouldn't leave the milk crate. I mean, it had the milk crate completely engulfed in its mouth, and then it went up on the motor and had the anti-cavitation plate and and the prop in its mouth, shaking the boat back and forth. Okay, so you know, Dave, uh, the young man who works for me, Captain Dave Tremble, and the two clients are going, "My God, you know, you know, what are we going to do?" And Dave said, "We're going to hook this thing." So Dave ran away from this shark to get away from it, and it ran, it ran the boat down. He couldn't stay away from it. I guess he ran away going six or seven knots, and the thing just kind of cruised with the boat. But finally, they had a clear shot at 30 feet, I think, and they hooked it. it I mean, it just came over and just engulfed the fly. Now, I think there's some really good pictures on one of the websites, either Field and Stream or Saltwater Sportsman. You can see the, the, the fly when it's taking the fly right in its mouth. And it, it, it was just it was the craziest thing, you know. And, you know, it's funny. Dave hooked another large one a couple of years ago. 
that was equally that size, or maybe even larger. And it went through a series of jumps, and then they lost it. But um, it's just great to to know that you know that there are sharks that big out there still, and you know that Dave and his clients uh, went ahead and released that. So, but I mean that 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 is just a tremendous feat. You know that that's a one in a million chance to get something like that in on a fly rod. So yeah, yeah. you know. Well, we have a question from Pell in Oklahoma. He's uh, he's hypothesizing you've, you've brought up two Makos. They're pretty hot. You hook one of them. It jumps in the boat, and the other one's circling the boat. Uh, if you can't get to the to the uh, the high spot in the center of the boat, uh, what, what are your options here? Wow. <laughs> that's, that's a pretty gnarly option. Yeah, basically, you have no options. You know, I don't know. Uh, well, first of all, what I would do is I would I would do all I can to get between the shark and the client and the customer, or or my friends even. You know, it's it's my boat, it's my responsibility. So I would say get up on that console. All right, don't jump in the water because there's another mako shark there. So um, and then you just see how it all unfolds, man. I mean, right then it's kind of like, you know, what do you do? So, but um, yeah, I don't know. That's uh, that's a tough question, but. Uh, What's the longest uh, fight you you see out there for a mako? What, or, you know, what's average? What's longest? Average is probably forty minutes, forty minutes to an hour, depending on you know how how gentle the mako shark is. You can get mako sharks that are one hundred fifty pounds. It take forever to get in because they just they're so just fired up. You can hook a two hundred pounder. You can have them in in ten minutes. Um, average fight forty to an hour. I've had I've, I've been I've had guys on fish for three hours and forty minutes or so. You know, and those are really fairly large sharks, you know, 275, 300 pounds that didn't want to give up. They didn't want to come to the boat at all. So, and I've had, I've had guys on sharks for two hours and then they lose it, you know, so, yeah. It kind of just depends. It depends on how fired up that shark is. Now, what's, uh, is, is there, what's the craziest thing that's ever happened when, when you've been fishing for Makos? I think, very God. interesting stories there? Um, God, there's just. Every day is interesting out there. <laughs> you never know what's going to happen. But I had one jump over the bow of the boat. I think I talked about that earlier. But, yeah, it was a fairly large Mako shark, probably that 200-pound range, charged back at the boat. The guy had had it on for a little while, and it, it really didn't do anything. And all of a sudden it woke up, and it, it went out, made a couple of jumps, and it, I mean, literally charged back at the boat. It, it must have been going 30 miles an hour. And at that point I'm going, oh, Jesus, what's going on? So I, you know, I... I, I steered the boat away from it, and I could not get away from this thing. And it just kept coming at the boat like a missile, and then all of a sudden it just launched itself, you know, a head over tail, cartwheeling over the bow of the boat. I mean, literally, I'm I'm looking at it eye level. It, it's its head is almost eye level with me. Its tail is you know, another you know whatever eight feet up, and it's just cartwheeling, boo, 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 and then splash, and then it took off again, and then it did, did another cartwheel, and then it did this this big almost like marlin greyhound thing, and then we lost him. But that was. I mean, and, and the client on the boat turns around, looks at me, and went, "I want to go in, man." <laughs> he was just—he was totally freaked out. <laughs> he goes, "That was great, but I want to go in." He was scared, and you know what? I was too, because that was—that was crazy, and it was all slow motion. You know, when a mako jumps out of the water, it is—they have this tremendous hang time, man. It just—they hang up there forever, and you can just see them in their beauty, just flipping around, you know, just going head over tail, head over tail, and then splash in the water it's it's uh it's a sight to see man it's it's awesome one of these days i'm going to see that sight. i tell you i've 
the, the biggest thing and the, the biggest threat I've ever had in a boat, I think, was about a 40-inch, 40 42-inch northern pike with teeth. Wow. But, uh, but when you're talking <laughs> these makos, yeah. you're darn right, you better be scared. I'll yeah. tell you. Uh, that's <laughs> yeah. a, a pretty big threat you've got out there. Yeah, it is, and they definitely, they're the boss, man. They are the boss, and they need to be respected. And I tell you, you don't go out there, you don't go out, you know, uh, thinking that, you know, you're going to be goofing off, you know, doing whatever, you know, you don't want to go out, you know, getting, you know, drinking, and you really want to be on your A game because anything can happen, and you need to respect these sharks because the minute you let your guard down, they're going to get you, you know, but if you keep your guard up, you know, they're fine. It's really weird. And also just respecting them, you know, I have a tremendous amount of respect for them. So I think having that respect really has kind of fostered this good relationship between me and these sharks, you know, and uh, and I always kind of get on that kind of weird, you know, philosophical thing, but I really think it happens because, you know, I respect them so much, and um, they, they've been just a, a tremendous, like uh, uh, I should say this, a tremendous friend to me over the years, and they're, they're just great. Well, it sounds like you've got the whole routine very well in hand uh, from start to finish, uh, both from, from, you know, a very high hookup rate to, you know, the safety aspects of bringing it to the boat and releasing it. Um, uh, uh, one of the questions that came in while we were talking is from Scott D. in Chula Vista. And uh, his question is, when's the best time to go and what's the cost out there? Uh, we already talked about best time to go, but, but how do you go out on the boat? Uh, do you go out and can two guys go out on the boat? And what, what does it cost them for the day? Yeah, um, our, our day rate is $525 for two anglers. That's for the day, and that's for the boat. And... Um, you know, uh, the day unfolds uh, 6.30 in the morning. We're usually on the fishing grounds by about 7.30. We fish till about 4 in the afternoon, and then we're back in by, you know, 4.30 or so. We also do, you know, half-day trips, uh, or we call them tide trips. So they're actually four-hour tide trips. So we'll, we'll time the perfect tide when those makers are going to be around, and we'll go chums, really productive, productive areas. And that oftentimes is a really, really good trip. You know, if a guy's out in San Diego on a conference or something, he can get out catch some world-class game fish on a fly and be back, you know, at his meeting, whatever, by, you know, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And that trip is uh, $425. But, uh, yeah, and, you know, and we do a bunch of other stuff, too. We do beach fishing and bay fishing and so. But um, it really is a, it, 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 it's very convenient. San Diego is a wonderful town. We're based out of Dana Landing in Mission Bay. We have three great hotels just right around us. We'll put, pick you right up on the docks at the hotel. Um, you have SeaWorld right across the street from where our boats are. You can walk there. So if you have your family in town with you, uh, they can go to SeaWorld for a few hours, eight hours or so. And then when we get in, just go over there and, you know, you know, pick, you, know you can hop in the rental car and go back to your hotel or even walk to the hotel if you're staying on the bay. So it really is a good operation all the way around. It's very convenient. So Plus, I mean, you're getting a world-class game fish maybe three miles off the beach, so it's pretty cool. Not bad. Conway, give us uh, your website, and then tell us more details about San Diego as a fly fishing destination. What's available there? Okay. Uh, website, bowmanbluewater.com. That's B-O-W-M-A-N, bluewater, B-L-U-E-W-A-T-E-R.com. And all the info's on there in terms of pricing and what we offer. Um, we offer a lot of different things, not only make of shark fishing. But San Diego is really a great fly fishing destination. Uh, there's tremendous beach fishing for uh, a, a fish called the corbina, which is very similar to a redfish, but it, it actually acts more like a permit or a bonefish. They're tough to catch. Uh, they, will, they will challenge your casting every time, and they're real persnickety. They're tough to catch, but they're a great 
great game fish on a fly. Uh, we also have halibut that you can walk the beach and catch. Uh, once again, the inshore fishery is great. Barracuda, yellowtail, bonita, of course, the mako sharks. But you know, we have some great largemouth bass fishing lakes here in San Diego. Some of the biggest largemouth bass in the world come out of San Diego County. And the city of San, city of San Diego uh, lakes are world famous for their largemouth bass. And it's some of the best fly fishing bass fishing I've ever had. Lake Hodges is tremendous. Lake Otai is tremendous. And there's a very small little lake called Lake Cuyamaca nestled about 4,300 feet up in the uh, Laguna Mountains that they catch, on average, 10-pound uh, bass out of there on the fly, and it's all sight casting to them. Wow. So there's a lot of options out here. We even have, you know, mountain trout here. I mean, as I said, you know, you can go from sea level to 4,500 feet in, in about an hour and 15 minutes. So it, it's, it's crazy. It, it really is a, a great place uh, to come and, and explore with a fly rod. Great. Now, I... We want to get back uh, to a question that's come in uh, about the flies that you're throwing at the Makos. Are you, are you tying these on a short shank, heavy hook? Yeah, I'm we're tying them on the, on the um, oh, it's the, gosh darn it, the Tiamco 600, I think it's the S SW, I think that's what it's called. But yeah, it's a short shanked hook, but it's got a very wide gape on it. So we've used long, you know, really long shanked hooks, but... I tend to like the, the shorter shank for some reason. Be, and the reason is because the, the gape is a little bit wider. And you need a little bit wider gape to kind of set that hook right in the side of the shark's mouth. Yeah, one of the questions that came in, Conway, um, this is kind of just uh, miscellaneous here, but uh, it says fly fishing for sharks seems to be exploding. Uh, and this is from Bart Dean in Alaska. Mm -hmm. Have you ever thought about coming up to Alaska to try our salmon shark fishing in Prince William Sound? Uh, the water out of Whittier, Alaska, is becoming a new destination for fly fishermen coming to our area to fish. Would you fish them the same way as you fish makos? Are you familiar with these these uh, salmon sharks? Absolutely. I have a, a good okay. friend named Jake Jordan who just got back from there. I think um, I think he was there this winter. But yeah, he said it's a tremendous fishery. But I, you know what? I would fish them the same as a mako shark. I mean, salmon shark and mako sharks are all are in the same family. So you have salmon sharks, makos, and you have Poor beagles and great whites—they're all—they're all related, and they're all apex predators. So you could definitely fish a salmon shark the same way. You could chum them in, and I would love to see one of those things up on the surface chasing down a teaser. I mean, they are—I mean—and they're, 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 salmon sharks are so beefy; they're huge, they're gigantic, and I, I think you could totally do the same thing—the uh, same techniques as, as as we use down here for mako sharks for salmon sharks. Well, Conway, is there uh, is there any other extreme fishing you'd like to do, or that you do that you have done that uh, you enjoy doing? God, let me see. Um, I, I'll tell you, I'm a tarpon freak. I am totally into fishing tarpon. That's that's my new thing. I've been doing that for I think three years now. And every opportunity I get, I want to go catch big giant tarpon. I fish in a place down in uh, uh, right outside Apalachicola, Florida, and we there are some giant tarpon there. So that's my big thing, sight casting to big tarpon. But I'll tell you, um, um, I want to go catch a, a Nile perch on a fly rod. Um, they, they seem like just a tremendous game fish. I want to catch a barramundi on a fly rod. I want to catch a, uh, a Macon catfish on a fly rod. I, I want to do all that. So I've got a lot of traveling, a lot, of, lot more big fish and crazy fish to catch. So, yeah, I... There's just not a, there's not not enough time in the day to go do all that yet. So, but yeah. Well, do you have any um, 
any uh, closing remarks you'd like to make, Conway, about just fishing for makos in general or fishing before we tie things up here? Yeah. Um, just make, in, as I said earlier, mako sharks are a wonderful, wonderful adversary uh, on a fly rod, actually on anything, on any type of tackle. But with a fly rod, it really ups it a little bit. Well, actually, it ups it a lot. Um, they are a wonderful game fish, and they need to be protected. They need to be, you know, uh, protected so, you know, my kids and, and, and other, you know, other generations can really appreciate what they are. And uh, I think, for me, it, it's, it's kind of my mission not only to put people on these great fish with a fly rod, but also say, you know, uh, hopefully they can come off that trip and, and understand, you know, the conservation aspect of it, to see this apex predator in the wild and how they are, you know, how they how they react and what they're really all about, and, and to really see that, hey, these things are the top of the food chain in the ocean. You know, we as humans don't even, if we jumped in that water with one of those things, we, we couldn't even, I mean, we wouldn't have a, have a chance. So um, they're just, they're awesome. They're just a wonderful game fish, and they need to be protected. I think that's probably, probably the, the biggest thing. But also, you know, people should try this, and, and people should come out, give it a shot, and I'll tell you what, it'll make them a much better blue water game fisherman also with a fly rod, because you, you get a lot of shots, you develop the techniques to go fish tuna, marlin, sailfish, whatever, and you, you get a lot of shots, you can develop those techniques, and you're not going to spend a billion dollars doing it, you know, flying to wherever you're going to fly to, and, you know, uh, not not having the techniques down, so yeah. And San Diego is a wonderful town. I mean, it's a great place just to go. I mean, the summertime is is really great here. We got the San Diego Padres. They got their new ballpark. You know, we've got uh, downtown San Diego, which is a, it's called the Gaslamp Quarter. Sea World Wild Animal Park, San Diego Zoo, greatest beaches on the West Coast. It's all right here, folks. <laughs> there you go. Conway, one question that just came to mind before we go is. Um, what, what are the odds of, you know, like you said, a businessman coming in, uh, taking a day off, going out for Mako's? What's the odds of him hooking up? Excellent. We only had three blank days this summer, so it's really good. And that's the thing. They're getting a lot of bang for their buck. If a guy comes into town um, and he's here peak season, let's, well, he's here between June and the end of August, there's a good chance he's going to run into a, a, a world-class game fish, even if he just books one day. Yeah. And we will bust our butt to find that fish <laughs> or that shark. So, but it, it's wonderful because, as I said, we're not going really far offshore a lot of times, so we can cover a lot of ground. We can figure out where these things are. And my guys are on the water every single day from June until October, so we know exactly what's going on. So, it's uh, it, it, it it's a lot of it's a lot of bang for the buck. I'll tell you, it really is. And I get a lot of guys that come in. They call me, hey, how's fishing? I'll say it's good. You know, they'll say I'm coming out tomorrow. They come out. They catch four or five makos. We had a guy out last year. He got 26 makos in one day. Whoa. Okay. And we were we were fishing 12 pound tippets, so he was he broke a lot of them off. But you know, yeah. And that was a one day deal. He called, hey man, I'm coming in. I'm I'm here. We went out. It just it was unbelievable. And that's not uncommon. Uh, peak season, you're going to see 10 to 20 makos in a day. I mean that 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 is not an uncommon thing. And some of those fish are going to be over 200 pounds. So. Well, that sounds like a fantastic experience. But unfortunately, we're running out of time here. We need to wrap things up. And uh, when we return, we're going to be drawing those uh, Canaan Polari sunglasses. I'm sure you, you use those a lot out there. Gone way to... Yep, they're the best, man. They, they really, and I'm not, you know, I'm, I, I don't endorse a lot of products, but I'll tell you, they, they're a tremendous, uh, tremendous eyewear. They're really great, and 
uh, I'll tell you, you're going to see a lot of fish with them. So, yeah, Canaan, definitely check them out. And hopefully somebody wins them. Yeah, yeah. Well, you got to stay tuned here. So I will. Stay I tuned, will. and uh, we'll, we'll see who wins those glasses. Sounds great. Have you ever dreamed about the classic action of bamboo fly rods? Did you know it's possible to make your own bamboo fly rods? With the help of Power Fibers online magazine, you can do just that. Power Fibers is a magazine dedicated to making bamboo fly rods and telling the stories about bamboo through the ages. From rod making techniques to stories about fishing bamboo rods to rod maker profiles to classic tapers, Power Fibers has it all. Visit our website at www.powerfibers.com. That's powerfibers.com for more information. We hope to hear from you soon. Well, on our events calendar tonight, we see the World Fly Fishing Championship is taking place in Coimbra, Portugal, September 9th through the 17th. For Team USA, this is the culmination of all the hard work in the regional and national championships that have taken place the past year, and teams from around the world will be competing for bragging rights. Go to the events calendar under Portugal for contact information. And remember, list any fly fishing related events yourself on our events calendar. Don't forget to remind your local clubs and fly shops to list their fly fishing related happenings. We'll be highlighting one event from the calendar on each of our shows. Just a quick reminder to everybody, before we leave our website tonight, uh, please take a minute and give us your feedback about the show. You can find a link there under Conway's section on our homepage. It says, what do you think of the show? Just click on that link and leave your comments. We'd sure appreciate it. Well, now it's time to give away a pair of Canon Polaris sunglasses. Canon uses the most advanced polarized lens technology on the planet, producing high-end solution to the challenges of fly fishers that, that we face on the water every day. So if you're wondering how we do this, uh, our computer takes care of everything. We just press a button, and it randomly selects someone that from the show's registration database. And this is the people that have registered for this particular show in advance. So if you haven't done so by now, um, it's too late, uh, and you, you're out of, out of the running. So let's see who the first winner is, because we're, we're also going to do a drawing here for um, Fly Fusion Magazine as well. So for the sunglasses, I'm going to pick the winner here. And the winner is Gavin. Oh, you're going to have to send these uh, a long way. Gavin Barnes in New Zealand. All right. Wow, awesome. Barnes in New Zealand. <laughs> That's great. And we know they have sharks down in New Zealand and Australia, don't they? No, so, New Zealand is is one of the uh, one of the rookeries for make a short fin makos. Yeah, oh, one of really? the biggest. Yeah, yeah. There, there's probably there's probably some spiritual connection. There. Oh, you know it. Ah. <laughs> well, congratulations, great. Gavin, and uh, or Gavin is probably is. I'm sorry if I mispronounced your name, uh, but we'll uh, we'll get the information on where to send those glasses, and you'll get to choose which uh, model you want, and we'll get you connected with Canaan to do that. So now um, let's uh, let me just make a note just so I know who the gets those, and we're going to now pick a winner for the uh, Fly Fusion magazine, which is one of uh, Canada's premier fly fishing magazines. Beautiful magazine. We spent a lot of time with uh, with Chris Bird, the, the publisher at the Fly Fishing Retailer Show in Denver recently. A, a great group of folks there. So let's pick a winner for that. And that will be Eric Burris, Eric Burris in California as well. So, Eric, you just won a uh, one-year subscription to Fly Fusion Magazine. I know you enjoy it, so congratulations. Yeah, that's great. 
Uh, we might uh, remind our, our viewers also to uh, check our website if they're interested in some of the latest products uh, that will be coming available here in the near future. We went out and did a number of interviews at the Fly Fishing Retailers Expo in Denver a couple weeks ago and have those interviews available on our website. Well, Conway, I can't tell you how much we appreciate uh, having you with us tonight. Uh, I want to thank you for taking time to teach us about fly fishing for Makos, and we hope that you can uh, join us again in the future. Yeah, it was my pleasure. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. It was great. Our, our next broadcast will be on September 20th at 7 p.m. Mountain Time, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, and on that show we'll be interviewing Jason Borger, the shadow caster, on the movie A River Runs Through It. Jason will talk to us about casting and presentation strategies for trout. So it's going to be a very informative show, so you don't want to miss it. And we would also like to thank R.L. Winston Rod Company, Front Range Anglers, Flats Time Charters, Platte River Fly Shop, and the Power Fibers Online Magazine for sponsoring our show tonight. Don't forget to visit our website, askaboutflyfishing.com, and make sure you're signed up to receive our announcements so you won't miss out on any of our future broadcasts. Feel free to explore the other areas of our site, like the events calendar and the directories. Thanks for listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. We hope you enjoyed the show. That's it. Good night, everyone, and good fishing.